Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC Vegas 22. I'm Paul Shaughnessy, joined in studio by Cody Tapsic. Remember to give the episode a like. Smash the like button, as Mayo says. Smash. Do all that good stuff. Subscribe to all of our outlets. Uh, what's, the, what's the new one there, Pat? Uh, Fantasy Sports Picks and Bets The Mix, short yeah. for Mad Lab and uh, his hilarious pal. We'll be breaking down the main event. And then Brett Apley on Friday will have all of the DraftKings picks for this UFC card. Also, if you want 100 bucks, then 100 bucks. for something like takes you 30 seconds, hit the description of this video and podcast. There's a new podcast from Mayo Media Network. If you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel, do that right now. That's step one. Step two, if you listen to this show on Apple Podcasts or you just have an iPhone or access to iTunes, go leave a five-star review for Fantasy Baseball Picks and Bets. I don't give a shit if you listen to it or not. Just leave the fucking review. Um, something you enjoy. It can be very generic, like, hey, I like this show. You should listen. Leave your Twitter handle or email address. We're doing a draw on Monday. Whoever I pick gets 100 bucks, and that will legit take you 30 seconds. So, you know. If you lose money with Paul and Cody's picks, you can win it back by leaving oh, an don't iTunes Don't put review. that omen don't on me, Don't put that pal. evil on me. Jesus. But yeah, that's why we like having Pat here, because you get, like, I'm horrible at reading all of these promos and stuff like that. He's he's all over, he's on top of it. Like, I just basically just threw, threw him off the top. How are you doing? Yeah, well, obviously he knows all the promos, and that's not our thing. Our thing is talking fights. Free yeah, money it's if Patrick's you don't want. Day. My man, Paul Shaughnessy, he shows up a full green getup, so I got to respect that. We're going to have a couple beers on the show. And yeah, you you guys are Irish, so I suppose St. Patrick's Irish Canadian. Day. Irish Canadian, but your last name's Shaughnessy. Mm-hmm. That's, if you throw an O and apostrophe We dropped the O so that, people, so that the Brits go. over here would give us jobs back in the 1800s. It's funny you say that. So my great-grandfather, Croatian, uh, when he came over, they had to change the name a bit because it was too Slavic and uh, couldn't get a job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Classic, so. classic, yeah. Immigrant, man. Immigrant yeah, mentality. The yeah. history of time. That's the history of damn, Canada. Damn Brits. Damn Brits. Yeah, but we got a fun little card like here that. that we can talk about on St. Patrick's Day, have fun with, hopefully find some winning spots. Last week was a better result in terms of, you know, winning picks, but my God, Jonathan Martinez, that was clearly the apple pie shitter and hard to hate on Davey Grant because I like the guy, but uh, he I, didn't even attempt any takedowns. He just stood and banged and knocked yeah. him the fuck out. I thought, I thought Davey Grant potentially could be like a value play on it. I got dropped in the first two. Not going to lie, man. Did not see that one coming. That result, did not see it coming. Uh, yeah. Well, you know what? And this is how betting goes, eh? So the first round, he drops Davy Gray, and I'm like, oh, come on, man. I got the over one and a half, too. And then in the second round, so then it's like, man, he should have knocked him out in the first round. But mm-hmm. you're always trying to hit a prop and a straight-up pick. It doesn't always work. But anyways, like I said, we got a, a fun offering here. The problem is, is like the lines that you do like are absolutely steamed. And there are some fun underdogs, but like which ones are we going to key in Ooh, and lock in? Yeah, I got yeah, some, no, I got some plus a... money plays on this one. Yeah. I ain't scared. But we start out with Kevin Holland digging on De- Derek Brunson in the main event. Kevin Holland, minus 170 favorite. Derek Brunson can be had for plus 150. Kevin Holland, I think, at least in the last year, no person has cost me more money than Kevin Holland. I always fade him. I think about his fights when he was 25 years old, still learning the, the ropes, I think. And uh, it's, you know, bloodbath. I mean... The Jacare fight, I felt really, really smart. Jacare took him down. Oh, my God. And then he knocks the damn guy out from his back. Hell of a punch. The, the ability to extend that much while on your back. Fifth win of the year. 
Yeah, he had a hell of a 2020, and me fading him, it, it it was painful. Then we got Brunson here. Apparently, Brunson he threw out the narrative into the into the into the sphere there, where he's five and zero in Vegas. I don't know who he's taking on in Vegas, but just an interesting stat. I'm sick of fading Kevin Holland and him costing me money. I think the holes are there, but this is a five round fight. What's Derek Brunson gonna do? Take him down for five rounds, maybe. It's possible, but Kevin Holland showed that he is very, very well equipped on the ground. He's a black belt in BJJ. I think he can stay out of trouble there. And when they're on the feet, the longer, more precise strikes are coming from Kevin Holland. I don't think this line is out of whack at all. I see a lot of people taking a shot on Brunson. I think Kevin Holland by knockout, I see it at plus 150. If if I had to take a shot, that's what it would be because we haven't seen Derek Brunson's chin issues show up in a while. And I think Kevin Holland's the guy who could who could get that to reemerge. So Kevin Holland, Kevin Holland by knockout, but haven't made a bet on it. What about you? Okay, so I'm a little bit worried here. I mean, you look at Derek Brunson, and first and foremost, let's talk about his chin issues because, yeah, dude has been knocked out. Dude always lives his chin so far up in the air, bun-rushing forward on a straight line. Doesn't work out for him. Then you look at the losses, right? So his last loss, which is three years ago against Israel Adesanya, who knocks him out. Jacques Souza knocks him out. Both legends. Anderson Silva, he got robbed in a decision. Robert Whitaker a former champion, a legend in the division, knocks him out. Uh, Yoel Romero, an absolute legend in the division. He took down Yoel Romero multiple times in that fight. And eventually gets he knocked won out. the first two rounds. Yeah, he gets knocked down the third. Then he got he lost to Jacques Correa again. And then his first career loss, which is the Kendall Grove fight, show fight 20, the biggest robbery you have ever seen in your life. So what I'm saying is he's lost twice to Jacques Correa. He's lost to Yoel Romero, Robert Whitaker, Anderson Silva, and Israel Adesanya. Does he have chin issues, man, or is it just like, yeah, all right, when you top, when you fight top three, top five guys, they're going to catch you. Those guys are beating him. I mean, him against Adesanya, and now I know you're talking about the light or the, the middleweight champion, but him just barging forward, chin up in he the air. He always does that. He always does that. No, He's, I know, but that could be a problem him. against Kevin Holland, who's right. gonna who's gonna sit back and counter strike. Absolutely, but then you look at Kevin Holland. The one issue that he has, his primary issue, is his takedown defense. So as long and like. As long as he is in his physical gifts and his power and all these different things, the Jacare fight, Jacare goes two for two on takedowns, right? Takes him down easy the first time around. Second time around, he's tired and he's hurt. He still manages to take him down. And then he gets knocked out on the ground, but that's neither here nor there. So he gives up two takedowns to Jacare. Charlie Ontiveros is not shooting a takedown nor completing shit. No. You throw the, and, and you say you like to fade Kevin Holland. Even you didn't fucking fade him. No, there. not there. Right. Darren Stewart takes him down three times. Loses a split decision. And Kevin Holland looks tired in the third round. And so there's another issue. Beats Charlie quick. Beats Jacare quick. Uh, the Joaquin Buckley fight, he actually looked pretty good there. But Joaquin put, gave up a good count of himself in the first round anyways. Um, you, you go back to, say, I don't know, Alicio DiCirico takes him down twice. Brandon Allen takes him down twice. Gerald Mearshart takes him down six times. Thiago Santos took him down three times. I just mean there's like a whole history of it. And I was only 28. Just got a word as BJJ Black Belt. And there's no doubt he's crafty off his back now. But the takedown defense still is an issue. And one thing about Derek Brunson is, like, he's completing takedowns. It, it, it's honestly roles reversed. Every single Derek Brunson fight, he's scoring takedowns on his opponent. And that's that's prevalent in the Shabazian fight, where, again, he's the underdog in the Shabazian fight. He goes in. He's not expected to do much. But the takedowns are there. Takes him down four times. The fight before, Ian Heinish takes him down twice. The fight before, Elias Theodoro takes him down four times. The wrestling's there for him versus Kevin Holland, you know, takedown defense is kind of an issue. If the fight stays standing, he's knocking out Brunson. But if Brunson just goes and takes him down, rinse from Pete for a couple of rounds, 
and then Kevin Holland's tired, well, then the knockout, chances are, doesn't come as much. Is he going to throw up a submission on Brunson? Brunson never been submitted, right? So it's hard to tell. And if this was a three-round fight, I would have already pulled the trigger. But it's a five-round fight. Brunson's got cardio issues himself. So, again, he's 37 years old. He isn't the athlete that he used to be. And his chin is still way up in the air. Whereas Kevin Holland, actually won Fighter of the Year, I'm pretty sure, had a tremendous 2020. Knocks out another aged legend in Jacare. But, you know, if you want to play MMA math, like Jacare at his best is on the backswing. But here's a guy that beat Brunson twice and was just a higher-class fighter. Brunson, he's scraping up wins over Elias Ciudoru, Ian Heinish, and like a 22-year-old Edmund Shabazian. Mm -hmm. So he's not exactly beating these high-end guys as well. We've seen him struggle when he gets to the upper echelon. It's whether or not Kevin Holland's there right now. So in a five-round fight, I am going to go with Kevin Holland. But I'm not going to go big on this one, even though it's the main event. It's a fun main event. I like Kevin Holland. Is that Brunson poses a lot of serious problems. Mm -hmm. And for the people that are backing Brunson, I think you are on the right track. He's got to use that wrestling, and he's got to tire this guy out. When you look at uh, Kevin Holland's entire run, it's first-round finishes, so you're not seeing the tiredness, and the takedown defense is still poor. So if he can replicate the same thing that Darren Stewart did, but there's an extra two rounds, maybe he takes advantage. It's just, I don't know. I will I will lean Holland because of the five-round nature of it, but Brunson's a live dog, in my opinion. And for that over two and a half, I like it as well because I think Brunson will take him down a few times. It's that, you know, Kevin Holland will survive, and he will throw a lot off his back. He will attempt some submissions, but a lot, he'll throw elbows. He'll throw punches. He'll try to scramble. He'll work, and he'll hurt Brunson. And then the next round starts, and he's back up again and hopefully take advantage. Where Shabazian just folded, he had no experience. This motherfucker fought more times than Shabazian has almost in his entire career in the last year. That's a joke. Shabazian's got more than five fights, but I'm saying way more experience for, for Kevin Holland. So I, w I will ever so slightly lean with him. We got my guy, Gregor Gillespie, returning from a two-year layoff after getting knocked out by Kevin Lee. He's minus 245, taking on Brad Riddell, who can be had for plus 215. I mean, I was so high on Gregor Gillespie, and I still am pretty high on him. The problem is he's 33 years old at this point. I, I mean, it doesn't seem like the guy really loves to fight. I'm already in on it. I took uh, minus 175 uh, last week before the line started creeping, creeping, creeping up. I still think that the level of wrestling we're dealing with with a guy like Gregor Gillespie is just so elite. And you look through his Instagram, it looks like he's spending a lot of time, like the last like four months, it looks like he's been spending time in the gym. He's been going on hikes with his girlfriend. It, oh, it, it looks nice. like he lives an active lifestyle, at least. He's not just, like, gone fishing the entire time. He's been There's a lot of videos of him in the gym. He looks like he's in great shape. I mean, I think when you have a guy with this level of, of wrestling, it's rinse and repeat. He just can't get knocked out by Brad Riddell, and Brad Riddell's not the craziest potent finisher or anything like that. Gregor Gillespie, you can parlay him up. I, I hammered it at minus 170, which I like it obviously more than minus 245, but I still think Gregor Gillespie's the truth. I think he's kind of let his career get away from him a little bit, but it is what it is. I don't, I think the guy would prefer to be a professional fisherman than a fighter, but he's just so good at this that he continues to do it. Pat, who was the guy that I sent you the Instagram photo of last night? That's training with Jordan from the challenge. Oh, that was uh, Ben Askren. Who's supposed to be taking on, uh, uh, no, he's taking on Jake Paul. I mean, the fact that he was he was going frolfing. Was Mike Perry? He's going frolfing with Jordan from the challenge. Pat's like, oh, look who's training together. I'm like, oh, God. 
Ben Askren's going to get knocked out now. I'm starting to Listen, think. Jordan is one of the best athletes in the history of the world. Yeah, but I mean, they're playing froth, and this guy's getting yeah, ready for how, a fist fight with a YouTube think, star. How easy do you think Frisbee golf is for Jordan, who has one hand? Ben, looked, ben Askren looked a little out of shape, too. Spending, well, more, he's spending you, more time uh, dealing with uh, Litecoin or I'll, whatever crypto he's into. I'll tell you than, something, uh, Pat time training. There's but a guy. He's doing something. There's a guy we're going to talk about later on the card, Jesse Strader, and he is Aaron Carter's boxing coach. Ooh. And Aaron Carter is getting ready for a fight with Lamar Odom. So I will let you be the judge of that one. Does the winner get paid in like crack? <laughs> <laughs> Is that actually a thing that's happening? <laughs> that's what my information is Jesus. leading me to, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the Aaron Carter thing, I don't know if the, if the fight will actually materialize, but that's what I'm hearing. But, yeah, Jesse Strader. And then you see he's a plus 550 underdog, and you start to understand why. Yeah, he must, <laughs> he must be horrible. But anyways, well, we we're, got Gregor we're on the co-main. Yeah, yeah. We wait, got wait, 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 who you got? What are you thinking here? Okay, so again, and it's kind of similar to the main event. Gregor Gillespie's got the tools with the wrestling, like Derek Brunson. He's just got to stick to the game plan. Again, he's made a career out of this. All of his fights, the Yancey Medeiros fight, six takedowns. Vince Bichelle, your boy, seven takedowns. Jordan Rinaldi only needed one because he punched him out on the ground. Jason Gonzalez, four. Uh, Glyco Fraca, five. Like, when he wrestles... You've mentioned it. He's second to none. You know, he's a former D1 All-American. He's a former national champion. He's a guy that would have been considered one of the best to do it, if not for the fact that he wrestled in the same weight class as Jordan Burroughs. Mm-hmm. So, the best to do it. So, yeah, Gregor Gillespie got pretty high in his wrestling career, and the natural transition has come to MMA, but he's got good hands. And the one area where that cost him was the Kevin Lee fight, because that was the one time he didn't try to wrestle. He went out there and was just kind of like, well, this guy knows how to wrestle too, so I'll use my hands. It's like, it doesn't matter if he knows how to wrestle. In his training videos, I see him, and he's got his hands up all the time. I, now, that could change once they get into the cage, but if he doesn't get knocked out, he should be able to you get know, these takedowns, You right? want to know something uh, interesting as well? So, for Kevin Lee, Kevin Lee's the biggest 155-pounder you've ever fucking seen, yeah. right? Dude, so, dude moves to 170, right? And then he loses to Rafael Dos Anjos at 170, and says, I'm going to come back down to 55. Comes back down, beats Gregor, and then his very next fight at 55, he misses weight again against Charles Oliveira, 158. And surely he's going to go back down to 179. Just what, what, what I'm illustrating is huge 55. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he boots you lopsided the head. You've got a serious problem on your hands. But like against a guy in Brad Riddell who seems like he could make 145 pounds, right? he's not the biggest guy, he doesn't have... The, the biggest Dude, amount of pop. Both of them probably could. They're both, both the same size, like five foot seven. Like, similar type of reaches, like, same kind of body type between the two of these guys here. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I would just favor Gregor Gillespie and going out there and being the more physical guy and being able to take down Brad Riddell. So this is classic style versus style. You have a kickboxer in Brad Riddell versus the natural wrestler in Gregor Gillespie. The difference is you have a very good striker in Brad Riddell versus the, the best wrestler in Gregor Gillespie. Like, you're a Khabib fan. You're a huge Khabib fan. And really, the only argument that you've ever come up with for anybody is for someone who could potentially fight Khabib up until the Kevin Lee loss, I suppose. Yeah, now it's like, it's, it's off the table. It's off the table now. Yeah. But prior to that, and it wasn't like, oh, well, he's got this and he's got that. It was just like, he's the only guy that could theoretically stop the takedowns. Exactly. Right? 
only reason. So Khabib not in the way, this guy fighting run-of-the-mill challengers, and that's his issue. So he's 33 years old, and to this point, he's fought absolutely nobody, right? He fought Glyco Fraca in his debut, no longer with the promotion. He was the underdog in that spot, and then you never got a good price on again. But Andrew Holbrook, no longer with the promotion. Jason Gonzalez, not there. J- Jordan Rinaldi, not there. Vince Michelle, our boy, but, you know, a favorable matchup for him. Yancey Medeiros, come on. Uh, you know, good fighter, I believe, still with the promotion, but just bad style clash. And then loses to Kevin Lee. The first time he really did step up. The difference there is Kevin Lee's a jack of all trades. He can strike, he can wrestle, he can grapple. He's got a BJJ black belt. You know, he's a very high level experience. He's massive for the weight class. Those are all X factors. Those are all variables. You lose a fight there. He two year long points. layoff. Yeah, two two year long layoff. I don't like that. Right. But if you go out there and you wrestle Brad Riddell, then there's the recipe. So again, I hate always just talking about. Well, this guy takes God, uh, guys down in all of his fights and the numbers, but really that's what it comes down to. Jamie Malarkey took down Brad Riddell three times. Magomed Mustafaev took him down eight times. Mind you, he always did pop back up when Mustafaev took him down. I'll, I'll give him that. But eight takedowns given up. And then the Alex De Silva fight his last time out, he did, still managed to get taken down three times. Mm. No doubt his takedown defense is getting better. But similar to Israel Adesanya's takedown defense is getting better. It doesn't mean Jan can't just plow him to the ground because he's the bigger, stronger, better better wrestler. And in this case, we got the bigger, stronger, better wrestler in Gregor. And the last thing is for Gregor, like you said, keeping up his hands, working on the striking. He's cleared the cobwebs. He doesn't want to get caught again. But if you were a guy that wrestled your entire life and you were considered one of the best wrestlers, right, and you had just gotten knocked out, and this is your return fight— wouldn't you just go right back to what got you here and just wrestle, wrestle, wrestle? My money hopes he does. Yeah, for sure. So the over two and a half is minus 110. I like the over two and a half. And then I would take Gregor Gillespie and I would take Gregor Gillespie by decision. I think that Brad Riddell's a tough son of a bitch, a guy that will get taken down and will continuously work to get back up. But he's not going to get TKO'd, not going to get submitted. So I see this one the going the distance. You get submitted down there? You no, know, definitely could get submitted. I just mean... I like Brad. Brad's a guy that's worked a lot on his grappling because he's such a dynamic striker. Most guys do want to take him down. That you see in all these fights, he's getting taken down, but he works to get himself back up. And remember Kaikara France against Bonterin, what, two weeks ago now? It was like, oh, he's dead. And it was like, oh, we fought the hand. Oh, he's dead. Oh, whoa, whoa, we fought the hand again. It was like, that guy's rear naked choke uh, like defense was unbelievably good. And it's, again, he spends a lot of time working on a submission defense because he knows he's going to be spending a lot of time on the ground and fight. That's where guys were going to want to get them. City kickboxing, right? The path to beating these guys, hopefully, take them down, right? That's what you want to do. If he could avoid that, he'd have a lot of success here. I just don't, I think it's a real tough ask to be taking, uh, to be taking on Gregor Gillespie and trying out your newfound takedown defense. Like, that's a tough go. So I'll take Gregor, Gregor by decision. Um, The over two and a half, though, minus 110, that looks like the best angle here. Gregor on DraftKings. Gregor on DraftKings. I think he's 9K. Especially because Brad gets back up, and then he'll get taken right back down. And And the control time and stuff that you've got on the new DraftKings scoring. Gregor Gillespie is, like, is literally the gift that keeps on giving when it comes to DraftKings, except for Kevin Lee. Pat, you look like you had something to say. Yeah, uh, Gillespie by decision is plus 230. Gillespie inside the distance is plus 130. Again, and why I like that is when you look at... a lot of the other guys. Yes, yes, but like we talked about, Holbrook, Jason Gonzalez, Jordan Rinaldi, Vince Pichel, Yancey Medeiros, he's finished those guys. Kevin Lee was like, ooh, this guy doesn't look as good as I thought. Now he's taking a two-year-long layoff, and now he's coming back and is probably going to hopefully take the safe route and just hold this guy down, wrestle him and hold this guy down. Flip side to that with Brad Riddell, it's like, okay, well, when was the last time he's been finished? He got submitted three years ago. Since then, you know, has he fought in great guys? Maybe not necessarily, but I think he's grown a lot. He was a one-dimensional kickboxer who was 24, 
now he's a well-rounded martial artist who's 29, has three fights in the UFC. Like, I think he's gotten a little bit better. But to save myself, that's why I like the over two and a half, that, like, even if Gregor just grinded this guy and submitted him late, maybe I could get away with it. And if Gregor, for whatever reason, got tired himself and got caught late, mm, I hopefully would cover that as well. But uh, you can make a case for a lot of these underdogs, but I think I'm going to just... And unlike the Brunson fight where I was like, mm, every round starts standing, rounds are going to get happened, Kevin Holland's going to have his shot. Like, I, I don't think Brad Riddell has the one-punch power like Kevin Holland does, to turn this fight around. I think, if anything, he'd have to hurt Gregor and then work him over. But if Gregor goes in there with the proper game plan to wrestle, 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 this should be his. All right, we got Ty Tuivasa taking on Harry Hunsucker. This fight was just booked literally moments before we went on the air. So there's no line or anything on this fight. Hunsucker, you may remember from Dana White's Contender Series, making Jared Vandera look like the uh, future heavyweight champion of the world. He's taking on the shoey master, <laughs> Tuivasa. I mean, where what do we think here? I think Tui Voss is probably going to be like minus 400, minus 500. This is, hey, who's hanging around here that's willing to take a fight on three or four days' notice at heavyweight? And, and Tui Vasa is willing to take on with, with no notice. Harry Hunt, sucker. Surprised that he got here, but Tui Voss is going to be a massive favorite. Another guy on DraftKings now, he just became... The overwhelming chalk. He's 8,900 because he was set up to fight Dante, uh, Dante Mays. Uh, Tuivasa, Tuivasa by knockout, I think is probably where your head would be at here. Yeah, Tui, Tuivasa, Tuivasa by knockout, under one and a half. I mean, those are the only real ways to look at we it. We don't even have prices on them, but... No, no, Tai Tuivasa is supposed to take on Dante Mays, and as much as we can love knocking Tai Tuivasa for some of his antics inside the cage, one, he is a great athlete for a 265-pound man, former uh, professional rugby player, and moves extremely well. Is he very green? Yeah. Does he have poor ring IQ? Yeah. But there's no doubt that there's some talent there. UFC kind of rushed him along a little bit. I mean, uh, he gets the Andre Arlovsky treatment, and he's one of those young prospects that actually goes on and beats him. And then they jump him into a fight with Junior DeSantos, which, by the way, he looks good in the first round. And then the second round, he starts, you know, wheels start to fall off. He gets caught. No big deal. Here's a young athletic heavyweight. He'll get better. But then you book him against Blagoy Ivanov. Bad spot. And then the Sergey Spivak fight, yeah, he gives up six takedowns. He looks mentally checked out. He's a bust at this point, right? Matching him up in the Stefan Struve fight, I remember he's a minus 150 favorite, right? So slight line. Surely he's going to knock out Stefan Struve. Can't really take a punch. And Tai Tuivasa is one of those guys that just comes at you and lets his hands go. He's got the power. He's young. Like, this is a terrible matchup for Stefan Struve. And, and Ty goes out there, he gets that knockout. One second left in the first round, knocks him out. But I thought he physically looked a lot better. I thought it looked like he was taking his training seriously. And what you got to realize about Ty Tuivasa, still only 28 years old, is that you go from being a highly touted prospect, drinking shoeys, having a good old time, UFC's marketing you, main card appearances, things are going good. Now all of a sudden, a three-fight losing streak, including a loss to Sergey Spivak last time out. By the way, Sergey Spivak is one of the most improved guys you've seen. Yeah, for sure. It I mean, doesn't look that bad. Like, at the time, you're kind of like, oh, busted prospect. Now you're like, Spivak's, shit, Spivak's, Spivak's top 15 heavyweight for sure. And Spivak's a guy that's filled out physically. He's got a good ground game. And in that fight, he took him down six times. Ty did keep popping back up, but Sergey just stuck on him and eventually submitted him. But again, in hindsight, those are three good heavyweights. Junior DeSantos, Blagoy Ivanov, Sergey Spivak, right? Uh, went over Andre Arlovsky, a legend of the division, an old guy. That looks good. The winner was Stefan Struve, you know, 
I wouldn't say a legend of the division, but one of the older guys, you know, a Ooh, name a name guy. Cashing that Tui Vasa round one right at the buzzer. Oh, I know. What a sweat. Well, it was like, he, you knew he was going to get that knockout. No, I, I, I love that spot. I'd almost given up on it, though, because, you know, there's five seconds left and then boom. And is he Money. still young? And is he still young and he still needs some time? Absolutely. But booking him against Dante Mays was the right move, right? Because here's a guy that conceivably he can win this fight. Mays has got a long jab. He's a long athletic guy. He's not going to just outside. take him down at will and who won't likely take him down at will. We can get a good little fun fight. Boxer versus brawler, essentially. Uh, but a fun little fight. Hopefully see a shoey out of it. So Maze pulls off and Harry Hunsucker inserted. And, you know, Harry Hunsucker would have fought in Francis Ngannou if they offered the fight to him. Why? Because he's 32 years old. His one shot, he's fought on the Kentucky regional scene exclusively in his career. His one shot at something notable was on the Contender Series where he came in and gave a go at it, you know? He hurt Jared Vandera early in the first round. Why? Because he had nothing to lose. He really wanted that UFC contract, and he knew, I just got to let it all go. And he did let it all go. He hit him a couple of times. Vandera eventually recovered, and then Vandera smashes him. So when you see, again, it was to Sergey Spivak, you know, funny how the heavyweight division works, but... Vander is not UFC caliber, really isn't. Harry Hunsucker, he's not UFC caliber as well. What you will see him do, because he's on short notice, and you'll see the same thing on the Contender Series, he's going to go out there and he's going to let his hands fly. Mm-hmm. Um, but knocking out Tai Tuivasa, good luck, man, because he's got one of those Samoan jaws on him, just like Mark Hunt, just like all these guys you've seen. You know, They go out there, they can take one hell of a punch. Tai Tuivasa is the same way, right? He got caught clean by... Uh, Junior DeSantis, and I remember he got caught, he drops, the ref stops it, and immediately he's like, oh, shit. And, like, it was like, whoa, he recovered pretty quickly. Like, within 10 seconds, he had all of his wits about him. Since then, chin hasn't been an issue, and and I don't think that uh, he's going to get chin-checked early enough here against Harry Hunsucker. Even if he did, same as Vandera, he would recover and put it on him. We don't have a line right now, but, like, if you had to guess, it would be... Minus Tai Vasa with minus five hundred for sure. He opens which up, which is as, like scary banana peel pricing with heavyweights, kind heavyweights. of. Exactly, because it should it should be the same as Montel Jackson. If Montel Jackson's a minus seven fifty, then uh, then I would see this line opening Tai Tuivasa minus five fifty, and then going to seven fifty as well. The difference there is that those are heavyweights, and Harry Hunsucker is just going to come into bang. It's going to be to his detriment, but he's going to let his hands go right. They're heavyweights. Something. Something could happen, whereas the Montel Jackson-Jesse Strader fight. Jesse, by the way, lets his hands go unbelievably well, but Montel Jackson's probably just going to be a little bigger. You just keep wanting to talk about that one. Well, Man, did I mention just gonna he's Aaron to- Carter's boxing coach? <laughs> to me, that's hilarious. Like, does nobody else remember Aaron Carter? I, I wouldn't blame him. you if you didn't. But Of course. Jesus. Didn't, he doesn't strike me as, as a world-class boxer, but... Hey, I haven't, I haven't seen him in about 15 years, so who knows? The mold that the Pauls are doing, Jake and Logan Paul, it's the same model that was going on with celebrity boxing back when Danny Bonaducci would fight some guy, right? You know, it's the same thing. Like, people love washed-up celebrities fighting. So, not only are they replicating that model and putting it on at a much lower cost, because they come from a similar background to almost all of us and how we do our production, like YouTube people, they understand how impactful it is to own all your own content. Like the cut that the Pauls are getting of this shit is outrageous. It's like, it's not, it's obviously not Mayweather level in terms of overall dollars, but they probably get a higher percentage of the rake 
than Mayweather does for his events, which is just insane. Yeah, for sure. The other thing you got to consider is that, like, if you had Dennis Rodman fighting somebody back in the early 2000s or late 90s, it would have been cool. It would have been fun. You want to see Dennis Rodman fight. How do you market that thing? You have to pay for radio spots. You have to pay mm. for TV ads. You got to send and these guys. You just have these people with massive social media presences right. that just have to make a few tweets and boom. And a couple videos. And they're creating content anyways, but it's like, hey, look at me. I'm going to spar today. And then they show some sparring footage and they have these funny videos. I'm going to jump off my roof wearing a Batman costume into a pool. And then I'm going to go do run this. It's all content. It's all content. You're interested in this guy's life. He's showing you his training camp, his day-to-day. He fights a little bit. And now he's going to fight, and it's all of a sudden it's like you're in. And then to draw in other people, they throw Mike Tyson on the card. It's like, I thought we were all buying that pay-per-view to see Roy Jones, Mike Tyson. No, no, no. The reason why it sold was the Paul Brothers. Because, like, they actually have a much wider audience than people that are interested in watching a a 54-year-old Mike Tyson, right? Mm -hmm. And there's, like, two things that go along with it, too, is, one, the opponents, like, like it's Nate Robinson. Like, people our age and older know Nate Robinson. Aaron Carter would be kind of the same way. That's more for our demo and, like, plus or minus seven years from us. People who can afford to buy these pay-per-views. And everyone who's probably above... 25 or 30 fucking hates the Pauls and wants to see them get knocked out. True, so they'll tune sure. into that. But for they're like sure. sneaky good at all this. I so know. they can keep it going against these scrubs. I know. I, I was actually considering betting Ben Askren and then Pat sent me the photo of him claiming that he was training, but he's playing Frolf with Jordan from the challenge. And I was just like, ugh. Out. Jake Paul may actually knock out Ben Askren. Ben Askren isn't the greatest boxer um, by any stretch of the imagination, just watch like the video. I'm sure you've seen it of like, you know, like, I don't the, have the to glory see the video. I've watched his going, entire like, MMA career. Yeah. Paul. I know he's not a good. Striker. I mean, if he can't t- get a takedown, Damian and now Maya that I know that him. his training is him playing Frolf, I don't know. I'm a little bit more nervous for uh, for for Funky Ben. All right, we got uh, Adrian Yanez taking on Gustu- uh, Gustavo Lopez. Minus 225 Yanez, plus 185 Lopez. Who you got here, Cody? Yeah, so this feels like your too-good-to-be-true pricing of the week is uh, Adrian Yanez. I really like this kid. I think he's dangerous. I think he's versatile. He's young. He's getting a lot better. Uh, when you look at the results out of him, by the way, he's only 27 years old, right? Signs to the UFC, coming off a pretty good little LFA run. Comes to the UFC, wins on the Contender Series against Brady Huang, first-round knockout, 39 seconds. You see him in the Victor Rodriguez fight in his debut with the head kick. But he's super fluid with his striking i mean he's got good footwork he's very fast he's very agile he's got a good straight left down the middle he likes to maybe switch stances a little bit but again here's a guy that can just catch you and has good speed good accuracy i feel like he's getting confident i feel like he's getting better i feel like he's starting to near the prime of his career adding all the wrinkles to his game i think he's a very dangerous challenger gustavo lopez meanwhile it's no discredit against him but i think we kind of know where he's at 31 years old, you know, extreme couture guy. He's local to Las Vegas. So where he was fighting in the Combache regional scene, pandemic happens. UFC's running shows in Vegas. They need guys. Gustavo Lopez, perfect. And they throw him in there against Marab Devashvili. Like, talk about a bad go. He did have... His stock went up in that fight. You know, you take a short notice fight on Marab Devashvili. You get owned, but you went the distance. You showed a couple spots. But takedown defense, awful, as most people who fight Marab, you know, usually are. And for that reason, a lot of people were back, backing Anthony Burchak coming into his next fight. Because Burchak, former ASU wrestler, you know, Division One guy out of Arizona, probably could go out there, take him down. BJJ Black Belt does have good grappling. And Gustavo Lepas flips the script, man, hurts him, rocks him, ends up taking him down, ends up submitting him. And it's just like... 
Jesus, where was that out of? Guy is well-rounded. Again, 31 years old. This is probably his ceiling. But uh, he's tricky. He's dangerous. I just don't know where he wins this fight. He's got to get Yanez down. I don't mm-hmm. think he's going to be able to stand with him for a long time. He is durable. I will give him that. With Yanez, he's been showing a lot of these quick finishes. So theoretically, you do extend this guy into a second or third round. You could make it dicey. If that's the case, I'd be looking to live bet it. You know, if Yanez doesn't take this guy out in the first and he starts to tire in the second or third, maybe I hedge out. But until then, I like Adrian Yanez. I think he's a legitimate prospect. I think he's getting a lot better. And I like him in the spot. As far as the over, it looks like Gustavo Lopez is real durable. I would want to take a poke mm. at that over two and a half. He got but when knocked you out see, by Andre Ewell, man. And when you see Yanez touch guys, it's like, oh, oh, man, they're gone. I think Yanez by knockout plus 150, I see at one book. That's, that's fair, the play I'm fair considering. Enough, fair enough. So that's a better price, obviously, than 225 Yanez. And, it, you know, yeah. Yeah, does this thing go the distance? Probably not. When you see how both guys fight, they do have a you know propensity I mean, to the under early. is juice to minus 165 so i'm gonna play that plus yeah, 150 as by ko it's only that. available at one book out there right now bet online i think it's plus 110 out of a different book um yeah I, I i share most of the same sentiments let's move on we got max Payne griffin Taking on Kanan Song, um, we got uh, Griffin as a minus 190 favorite song could be had for plus 165. Kanan Song just doesn't throw enough. Like, you go through a bunch of his fights, the, the volume just isn't there, and he's given up five inches of reach here. I've never been a big Max Payne Griffin fan. I, I typically don't bet his fights. I don't think he's the most talented guy, but the guy's super, super durable. His volume is definitely higher than Kanan Song, and I think maybe he can get some wrestling here, take, take the fight to the mats. Even if he doesn't, I think he's just going to be the, he's going to have a lot more volume in this fight. And that five inch reach advantage, I think he's going to really play into his favor. He's been super durable on top of that as well. So if this goes 15, I like Max Griffin just to win on volume. And then maybe, maybe Max has a little bag of tricks for Kanan Song on the ground as well. If he's, if he chooses to use his wrestling in this spot. So I think the line, more or less makes sense. I've seen some people taking a shot on Kanan Song, and I, I just can't get on board with that. What about you? Yeah, I can't get on board as well. Uh, Kanan Song was brought into the UFC for a very specific reason. They needed to fit that certain Chinese demographic. They were going to China. They needed a guy. He actually is probably the only guy in modern era UFC history signed to the promotion on a two-fight losing streak, right? So he loses to Elmer Agayev by decision and then gets knocked out by Brad Riddell prior to making his UFC debut against Bobby Nash who's no longer with the promotion. Then he beats Hector Aldana. Yo, boy. I'm just kidding. You always would say, worst fight in the UFC. And, you know, he lived up to that, right? No longer with the promotion. He yeah. loses to Alex Morono, and Morono just backs him up, right? Morono puts some pressure on him. And, uh, you know, Morono's a fringe top 20 guy. You know, on a good day, he's a top fringe. He's not a 15, but a, a top 25, 20 guy. And he's like, he's outclassed in that spot, right? But the guys that are no longer with the promotion, he can cut it against them. Oh, Derek Kranz. Yeah, right? this was oh. part of my this is part of my play on. Oh, our... Callan Potter, you say. So yeah. fuck find him. yourself a manager who can get you the fights book that Kanan Song has got booked. Well, the UFC knows what they're like, doing. They gave him like they know what, what they're three doing. or four of the worst fighter in the in the division. They gave him four of the worst guys in the division, mm-hmm. guys that are no longer with the promotion for a very reason, right? I mean, the UFC's got like a thousand guys on the roster. If you can't got a roster spot. You're not one of the top 1,000 guys on the planet. Um, again, he's signed to the UFC on a two-fight losing streak. Chinese prospect. They want to build him up. They give him some of those winnable fights. In those fights, he shows that he can strike a little bit. He shows he shows that there are some elements to his game. But, you know, he's not even a prospect. He's 31. Like, he's been in there. He's done that. He, I'm pretty sure he's lost to Israel Adesanya way back in the day. Like, Son Kanan's actually been around a long-ass time. 
I just don't like how he matches up in this spot, right? I mean, I don't think the UFC is looking to do him any favors anymore. And Max Griffin, Max Griffin's just sneaky good. You talked about earlier about how Kevin Holland's a guy that's cost you money, right? Max Griffin's legitimately a guy that's cost me money because you don't really know what version of him's going to show up. But if the version of him that shows up stays at the outside and uses that jab, he just eats you up, man. He does a lot of damage from like simple strikes, busts you up, causes you to get hurt. His grappling, big time ever improving. He lost also to Alex Morono on the basis of he just waited too long to get his grappling going. But in Mm -hmm. the third round, it's like, shit, man, guy can grapple as well. The Alex Oliveira fight loses a split decision, but I thought he got robbed in that fight. Like gave a good account of himself against a mediocre version of Cowboy Oliveira, but all the same, what it would have been a good win for him. And then the Ramiz Brahamaj fight last time out, he absolutely dissected this guy. Now, Ramiz turned out just not to be on his level. You know, strong guy, physical guy, probably wanted to get the fight to the ground. But Max Payne Griffin's just got too many it tools. It didn't for look him. like he wanted to get it to the ground. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He, he also really got tried, he also got flat out robbed by Tiago Alves. Uh, so you see, he's in a lot of these close fights. A lot of his fights go to the decision, and he does get robbed in a couple of them, anyways. But when he's at his best, the Mike Perry fight, the Zalim and Madaya fight, that Ramiz Brahimaj fight his last time out, he's just surgical on the outside. With Song Kanan, I was like, where does he win this fight? Max Griffin's got the grappling advantage, he's got the wrestling advantage, and he's got the striking advantage. He's just got to grit through those tough spots and hopefully not tire out. So minus 190, I think that the line's priced pretty good. I would go for that over two and a half, being that, yeah, again, he, you know, tends to go overs in his fights, go a lot of these decisions, but I'm not completely sold on it. So probably avoid that over under uh, 210 is not a good price. So don't really care for the over. Maybe I would just take the Max Griffin straight up, minus 190. Right, we got Shea on buys taking on Montserrat Ruiz. We got minus 360 on buys, plus 300 on Ruiz. Watch tape on both of these ladies. Uh, watched buys on the Contender Series. A lot of cage work. Is it buys or bays? Bays. Buys. I'm not buying it. Hey, dear buys. I'm not buying it, Cody. Uh, minus 360 is insane to me. Watch uh, Montserrat uh, Ruiz in Invicta in a couple fights. It's sloppy. It's, uh, she just kind of barges forward, throwing throwing strikes. But at the end of the day, this minus 360 line is just out of control. I took a small shot on Ruiz, plus 300. I just think hopefully it just turns into an ugly fight. It's close. And you know it could it could be kind of a coin flip situation. I didn't see anything from from buys that uh, would lead me to believe that she should be a minus three sixty favorite really against anybody. Um, I think it's going to be a relatively close fight. And give me the girl with the neck tat at plus three hundred. Yeah, tat. yeah, neck tats and women, neck tats, women MMA. Yeah. It's legit because it's like you know they're going to be aggressive and aggression wins a lot of these spots. Yep. So yeah, I, I hear you, but uh, I got to go with Bias. Bias is just obviously the A side fighter. It's not that you know taking a shot on Ruiz at that price isn't worth it because it's a big dog spot. But as far as like an official pick goes, I would have to take Bias. So her husband JP Bias is actually going to kick up the card. So. You know, I think it's like the first husband-wife duo to fight on the same UFC card. Kind of cool. If he loses early, maybe. Eh? Yeah, but they're they're from Fortis MMA. Fortis MMA features like Kevin Holland, Adrian Yanez. Uh, Kevin Holland's uh, out Ma- of, Mary, is he still out of Fortis. Right I'm, I'm not sure. Marion or uh, Macy Chase almost definitely is. Trevin Giles. The fucking whole card is Fortis MMA, right? So she's going to be very well prepared first and foremost. Second of all, she's very aggressive, man. She's always coming forward. She's always letting her hands go. Her wrestling's pretty good. JP so buys she's gonna wrestling. She's going to get caught, Dog City. It's a Mayo, it's a Mayo special here. Plus 300 <sighs> yeah, in a fair. close women's fight 
that's what I was going with here. Well, I just think, just to finish my it, last point, I'm not convinced because I saw her okay. in that fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of cage work, control. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced that she's stronger than uh, than Ruiz. I just think the line's a little bit off. If this was more like minus one seventy plus one fifty, I would not be taking the shot on Ruiz. But I just think this line is out of hand. Yeah, well, that's why a lot of people are like, you got to jump on the line before the line's gone, right? So this line actually opened up buys two fifty, which again is probably not the best best price tag, but two fifty sounds a lot better than minus three sixty. Now, doesn't it? Uh, at minus three sixty, you really don't want any. Now you start thinking, "Ooh, shot on Ruiz." And again, I think that if there was a value side to this fight, the value side would be on Ruiz. Why not? It's a women's MMA fight. If they're both making their UFC debut. Why not? But again, Cheyenne buys what I like out of her, like skill wise. I mean, she can wrestle, she can strike, she's really aggressive, she's got good cardio, and she's got good pressure. She just keeps coming forward a lot of the time. She was originally scheduled to take Kay Hansen on in the spot. That would have been a really she's good fight. Getting brought in. To- well, Kay Hansen's like 21 years old, right? This girl's young as well. She is 25, 25 years five, old. Yeah. 25 years old. Just won in the Contender Series. Looked good in the Contender Series. Signs of the UFC. Kay Hansen's technically coming off a loss. Uh, technically as in she physically did fucking lose. But a lot of people thought she won. All the same. But we won money on that. Yeah, we won money on so that. So who, who gives a shit with Robbery? Uh, what Robbery. I get robbed. <laughs> I, I rob. Whatever. Manel Cap got robbed. What I have to handle it we because don't have sometimes to apologize to anyone because sometimes Corey McKenna gets a favorable rub. What can I say? Yeah. Uh, but she's supposed to fight Kay Hansen, which is a really tough fight. So again, you've got a ton of teammates on the card. You got a really good spot here. This is a good opportunity for her. And then in comes out uh, Monser, Montserrat Ruiz. And it's not that I don't. It's nothing against Montserrat Ruiz, but she's five feet tall with a 61-inch reach. But, but it's five foot three, 63. I, trust me, I, I covered all of these she's bases. She's five like, feet tall, Paul. Yeah, but She's almost in the four-foot category. Whatever. Bias isn't that big, though. I'll give you one thing. Girl like is If she had also, like a 67-inch reach and we're talking a two-inch reach advantage, if we were talking like a five-six, and then maybe it's a different story. But I just saw a lot of cage work. Like that's what buys seem to want to do. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I will give Ruiz one thing, right? So she's, again, still young herself. She's only 28. She was apparently training at King's MMA. Um, and she went, I think, is that, what is it? The Danielle- she lost Danielle Taylor, I know. Uh, she I lost, know where you're going with that. Uh, it's not even the end of the friends world. Friends don't right? love friends, kind of thing. She right? went. She went five rounds the fight before Danielle Taylor, and her cardio looked unbelievable, aggressive the whole way through. Then she loses to Danielle Taylor over three round court, a fight in Invicta. And Danielle Taylor's at least been to the big show. Doesn't throw shit as well. Uh, and then she gets a kind of a cheeky cheeky submission her last time. Yeah, that was I, I, that was <laughs> that's women's MMA it, dog. It wasn't really that's a women's submission. MMA dog. <laughs> they called it a scarf hold, but it was more of a I quit. Type do you want to know something? Do you want this is an actual? I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. Tap tap tap. Yeah, Felice Herrig nailed one in, in the Ultimate Fighter as well. And when I started jujitsu, like my third class, like 2008, the instructor, I was like, "What's the name of this?" And he, I, I got caught in it. And he's like, what's the name of this? And he goes, uh, well, that's, it's a bitch tap. <laughs> that's what he said. That's what he said. It's a bitch tap. What do you mean it's a bitch tap? He goes, well, you you know, like you can get out. You can muscle out. You can. There was always a way out of it. And so you've never seen that move nailed before other than there. 
and the Fleece Herrig one on the mm-hmm. Ultimate Fighter. Other than that, no man is tapped to it. So I feel like either, I don't know. There's a there's certain moves. The calf slicer, you've seen it twice in the UFC. The bicep slicer, right? You've never, never seen it, right? Seen that. Or sorry, it's not a bicep slicer. It's a bicep crusher, right? You've never seen the bicep crusher in the UFC. Because there are moves that are like, you can tough it out. You can tough it out of the move. Unfortunately, the calf slicer could tear off your calf. You know, the bicep crusher in jiu-jitsu, guys have torn their bicep. It's just you don't see it in MMA. There's always a way out. In this case, yeah, whatever. What I'm getting at is that she's fought at a relatively low level. She was supposed to take on Emily Ducote, Bellator veteran. And that one's interesting because Emily Ducote's actually a training partner of Cheyenne Buys. So, I don't know. Take what you want out of it. What I'm saying is that she's coming in on short notice here, filling in for Kay Hansen. Because of the short notice nature of it, I, I, I would have to say that the advantage goes buys. The price... It got steamed. 250 seems reasonable enough. Now it's steamed to 360. Do you want in at this price? Probably not. Well, I want the over. It's women's MMA. Nah, it's minus 260. Again, this is not... That one's fizzy. That's your problem with Guinness, man. We got a spiller. And that's why they ship it with like a ping pong ball on the bottom. There is. Yeah, there always is in the cans. Otherwise, it'd be flat. But uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I agree. I, the pick would be Cheyenne Bice. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with your idea to take a shot on the underdog but i think i think all the advantages are going towards buys in the spot and so uh i'll back her one question how is buys going to win when her opponent has no face fair yeah not only that (laughs) she's got no neck and she's five feet tall right she's She's like how are you gonna take down a little gnome you love all the stumpy male fighters Samwise Gamgee? Have you ever seen him give up a takedown? No, because he's a little tree stump of a man. And he Cody was successfully, doesn't take the shot. It's fine. successfully able to protect Frodo for all those missions. I, I had to. I just well, thought, well, I watched got- the tape on both of them, and I'm like, this, I could see this going both ways and just being a complete slot fest. I think Bai's backs are up with the aggression and I Is don't think stronger? Ruiz I'm just I don't think Ruiz fights particularly good with her back up against the You know what? It's probably it's probably a pass. At that price it's a pass. You're going to throw some parlays together. If you're throwing some parlays together, 360 is the third biggest favorite on the card. The name is show pal. Yeah, that's fair. Dogger pal. <laughs> there was a there was a shitty pie up there at the same time though. So, that's the risk I'm willing to take. Well, are you anyway. taking Marion Renault? No, she's 43. Well, let's get to it. She takes on uh, Macy Chase on. We've already talked about this fight a few weeks back. I mean, all of these cards just kind of blend into each other. It was probably like a month back that this fight was booked. Um, was it Chase on's corner got COVID? Yeah. Yeah, rebooked, obviously, for this card. Minus 210 Chase on, plus 175. I'm sure we said it before. Is that, you know, Marion Renault, I think it's kind of the end of the line. She's what, she's a 43, you say 43? 43, yeah. 43-year-old gym teacher. The big issue here is, you know, Chase on used to fight at 145. Before getting excited about a minus 210, I'd make sure that she looks okay on the scales. But uh, I think youth wins here. Um, just kind of gets the job done. A little bit more active, a little bit cleaner striking from the outside. I think considerably faster, even d- despite being bigger. Um, yeah, I think Macy Chase on wins, but I got to see her on the scales before I do anything about that minus 210. What about you? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm in on Macy Chase on. I don't know how much I love it, uh, strictly because of the fact that similar to the last fight, you know, the price is a little bit big for the fact that I know I'm getting a rather tight anything could happen women's MMA matchup. Um, 
it's going to be a fun fight, but again, I just don't know how much faith you can have in it. Macy Chase on, I liked her on the Ultimate Fighter. Like you mentioned, she's 145. Unfortunately, there's no real 145 weight class, and so she's smart enough to make the drop right away. She fought Penny Kianzad in the finals, won at 145. But then her next fight against Gina Mazzani, she made weight. The next fight against Sarah Maras, she made weight. Wins both of those, low level. Lena Landsberg fight, she made weight. Shannon Young fight, she made weight. <clears throat> I think she'll be okay here at 135, but she is a big 135er, and that's her natural advantage. My problem is the Lena Landsberg fight two fights back. Landsberg's a Muay Thai striker, you know? She's a European Muay Thai striker from Sweden. Accredited, I suppose. Kind of has low elbow, uh, low volume. They call her the elbow queen. But she just took Macy Jason down. And as soon as Macy Jason got taken down off her back, it was like, oh my God, no game. No game. Start to fatigue. Look tired. Didn't have a plan B. Look lost. And then lost the fight. Mm -hmm. Terrible outing for her. Comes back in that Shana Young fight. And again, Shana Young's making a UFC debut. Is probably ill-equipped for the spot. Macy Chason does look good. Does look like she's making improvements. She's another 4-7 to MMA fighter. But again, it wasn't anything spectacular. She gets the victory. I thought she looked solid. And then it's a year-long absence since then. So, like, how many improvements has she made since then? Has she made any improvements? Is it going to hinder her? Is it going to be to her detriment? Is it going to be to her favor? Like... You just don't really know, but I think you nailed it pretty much here. We got Renault's 43. She's fine. The way better competition. You know, she's fine. A lot of solid fighters in in the UFC, but she her best days are behind her. And she's BJJ black belt. And she's, remember how we were talking about the other day, like a Muay Thai black belt, like, you know, whatever. But she has one. She's a good striker. She's got heavy leg kicks. She spent times at Kings MMA, spent times training at the highest level. But uh, yeah, it just she she deals she doesn't deal great with physicality, and I think that Macy Chase on is just going to be too big, too strong. You know, she's going to have the youth, she's going to have the athleticism, she's going to push forward. But minus two ten is not the greatest price tag. I think Marion Renault, if Marion Renault was to get this fight to the ground and would end up in top position, it would be a big problem for Macy Chase on. The reason why I can't back Marion Renault, despite the forty three, is her offensive wrestling is awful, awful, awful. She can strike and she can grapple. But her takedown game is weak as shit. Mm-hmm. And so what she needs to so do is... how do you is, get it there? Right. So how's she going to get it there? catch a kick or something like that. And so now it's like, okay, scrap that plan. I'm just going to move forward and bully this girl. Mary no 43 or not, always shows up in fantastic shape. Why? Gym teacher. Her day literally consists of being in shape all the time. So she, I know she's going to come in and give a good account of herself, try to pressure forward, try to land those strikes. But Chase is just the bigger, rangier, stronger fighter. And I think that if she's able to put Renault on her back foot, it'll work for her. Minus 210, again, it's just not a price tag I love. This is not a fight I love from a betting standpoint, but she would be the pick. Grant Dawson takes on Leonardo Santos. Grant Dawson, a minus 190 favorite. Santos can be had for plus 165. I do have a bet on this one. I saw it open up at plus 700. Missed the action on that. But then they reopened it at plus 650. Santos by submission. My problem here is that Grant Dawson, what have we seen from him? Likes to control, likes to get into grappling exchanges. This is the first time that he's taken on a guy that could cause some big problems for him. And I think that his stand-up game is still a work in progress. The, you know, Grant Dawson always goes to the takedowns. That's always what he wants to do. And this is the, the best BJJ practitioner that he's taken on so far. So I thought, God, I'm going to take a shot. Plus 700 would have preferred that. Maybe maybe somebody else. There's not many books that have opened up those props yet. Uh, this was like the first one that did yeah, it. I'm looking to see what it's at right now. Plus 650. Santos by submission. I just did it this afternoon. Um, 
had to take a shot. I just think that this is a, you know, this is the first test and we've seen Leonardo Santos, even though he hasn't been very, very active, he's shitting an apple pie or two in his day. This could be a spot where maybe Grant Dawson, you know, nobody's really caused him any sort of problems on the ground. I know he's really trained well with James Krause at Glory MMA and Fitness. Maybe their game plan is keep it on the feet. I'm not convinced that he's the better striker either, though. I think this is, we haven't seen Santos in a while, so that's why he's kind of a wild card. But if this gets to the mat, maybe it gets a little bit dicey. I'm not convinced that Grant Dawson can really hang with Leonardo Santos on the ground. So I had to take the shot. Uh, Santos by submission plus 650. Uh, Santos at William Hill by submission plus 850. Yeah, I just saw that right now. See, I I jumped a little bit too early. I didn't think I was going to get a number like that. May have to add a little more. Well, it's currently 650 as well in five dimes, but him by knockout is the same thing, right? And I think he could do either. He could. I am going to pick Grant Dawson, but I don't... I'm not totally thinking like, oh, Paul, you're off on this one. Like, man, he actually has big advantages here. First of all, who the fuck is going to outgrapple him? You know, he's a seven-time world champion in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I saw the guy flying armbar George St. Pierre one time. A grappling second to none. As far as his striking goes, man, massive improvements. Yeah, everybody likes to talk about the Kevin Lee fight where he absolutely rocked Kevin Lee's life. Uh, but be, I mean, shattered his ankle, actually, in the process. But it's not even that. That fight's a long time ago. Then you see the Stevie Ray fight. You know, he's it's like a three-year-long layoff from the sport. Comes back, same thing. Striking is most definitely there. Leo Santos has got some good striking. The one thing, he's got good striking. He's got good submissions. He's got good grappling. He's got a good chin. He's got bad gas tank. He's always had bad gas tank, bad cardio. And you see him his last time out against Bogotov. It's like... That Bogotov fight is one of the strangest fights you'll ever see in your life, where Leo Santos wins the first round against Bogotov, probably wins the second round. Third round, he loses the third round, but he gets a two-point deduction because Bogotov knees him twice in the nuts over the course of the fight and then leads, lands an illegal knee on the ground. But, but that fight was like, okay, yeah, Leo Santos is human. He is the guy that I believe him to be. He has all the skills in the world, but he's got a suspect cardio. He doesn't have great wrestling. And again, he can strike in, in spots. But if you put a pace on the guy, you're going to break him down. I think that Grant Dawson is going to put that pace on him. He's relentless. He's got great cardio. He's a good grappler himself. I don't think that you're off on the submission prop because when you look at the Derek Minner more fight. Because yeah, at, when you look at the at Derek Will Hill fight, because YOLO. And because A50, there's massive FOMO going on here. I can't have that just slip by. Not as much as the six or the 650. Can you have FOMO on something you already have? <laughs> I want more, Pat. I want to. I want that screen grab for the plus 850. That line's not going to be there. For Listen, long. again, I get it. Derek Minner had his neck in all sorts of scary trouble multiple times. Mm-hmm, but it was like mm-hmm, Grant mm-hmm, Dawson mm-hmm, found mm-hmm. a way to escape and found a way to get him out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Here's another thing that uh, if you're a Leo Santos backer that you're going to be liking is that this is Grant Dawson's first fight at 155 pounds, right? Mm-hmm. Prior to this, he's been fighting at 145. And his last fight against Nadine Aramani was a catchweight of 150. His fight versus Derek Minner, he missed weight and came in at 149 and a half. But, but as, a, as a Grant Dawson backer, which I am, I like that. I like that because he was way too big for featherweight. He was hurting his body, trying to make the weight cut, coming down. He missed weight against Derek Minner, as I talked about, but he gutted out the spots, came back, cardio looked good. Physically, this guy is a fucking animal. He's relentless. He's got good wrestling. 
His striking's bad, man. See, he'll throw a flying knee for the simple fact of closing distance. He'll throw some wild-ass strike. He always wants to close distance. Yeah, dude. He's closing su- distance <laughs> in this fight is I danger. I know. I think I it's agree. a weird matchup for him, and that's why I thought that price is just a little bit too out of hand for the threats that Santos provides. No, you're right, because if he doesn't close distance, and he doesn't pursue the takedowns, and he stays standing, that straight right from Santos is going to eat him up. It's going to eat him straight down the pipe. He's too wild and loopy to just stay up in a 15-minute striking battle. He needs to mix in the wrestling. And whereas I agree with you, that wouldn't be a great game plan, I think Dawson will do okay with it. Roman Bogatov was one of the worst fighters I've seen in a very long time. And he had moments of success because Santos got tired. He's got bad cardio. And if you lean on him and grind on him, you don't necessarily even have to fully take him down. Just grind on him against the cage. Then when he slows... You have your way. And I think that's what Dawson's going to do. Now, I'm chasing the over two and a half, even though you got submission and knockout's a good price and all this and that, I understand. I got the over two and a half because I think Dawson's not finishing Santos. He's just going to grind him. And I'm also going to pursue Grant Dawson by decision to try to get myself like a plus money play. Um, But the pick straight up would be Grant Dawson. And I'm really well, hoping. I hope you lose. You know what? You talk shit about Mary Reno because she's 43. <laughs> but now you got 41-year-old Leo Santos. Hasn't submitted a guy in how many years here? Let me, let me just, I just want to be real official on this one. Hasn't scored a submission victory in five years. Actually, He's six due. years. My lie, six years. He's due. He did submit. Rocco Martin, though, six years ago, which is Who a good win. Who finishes Rocco is a go- Martin? I know what you're saying. Machine. I know what you're saying. That's actually a really good win, but it was six years ago, dude. It's a long time. He's due. Same thing with the Kevin Lee fight. It was a long I time ago. I hope he's due. This is not 2015 no Now more. I own six, uh, six, plus 650 and plus 850. Have you ever watched, I'm, I'm sure you have, live. What I, I just bet it. But to anybody at home, go rewatch the Adriano Martins fight. Plus it, it's the follow-up <laughs> fight to his greatest fight against Kevin Lee. And it is the biggest, like, letdown. What a shitty fight. Because he's got bad cardio. He's there to get exposed. The way it's shaking out right now, there is, if Leo Santos wins by submission, I can't lose money on this card. Oh, yeah, it'd be a good play. It'd be a great play. But mm-hmm. James Krause will have the proper game plan. So cue that up, Paul. So I'm, okay, we're, we're on opposite sides. All right, we got uh, Roman Delitz taking on Trevin Giles. Roman Delitz minus one thirty-five favorite. Trevin Giles can be had for plus one fifteen. Trevin Giles was supposed to take on Jerkis Duplessis in this spot. Duplessis had to pull out. Delitz steps in. Obviously, he's probably just hanging around Vegas right now, looking for opportunities to get back on a card. I like Delitz here. I think. Um, I mean. Ever since Tre- what Trevin Giles like pulled out of that one fight, what what exactly happened there? Uh, pulled him, out of yeah. that fight last second. Any ever since that kind of happened, I'm I'm completely out on uh, on Trevin Giles. I just, I mean, Roman hasn't looked all that bad. I'm surprised that this line is like playable. To be perfectly honest, maybe it's the nature of the short notice for Roman deletes, but I mean, he seems to have skills in most facets of the game. Giles isn't exactly a volume machine. How does Giles win this fight? Yeah, but the striking, I would think. I would think that... Is he a better striker than Dolitz? Oh, definitely a better striker than Dolitz. Dolitz is just so wild. Does Dolitz maybe have a power advantage? Sure. Loves that spinning back fist. Loves the overhand right. Loves to throw the knees. Loves to throw... He's kind of got like a sidekick to the body he likes to utilize a little bit. He's a power guy. He's a big, thick, strong Georgian motherfucker. 
But yeah, yeah, outside of that, his striking is just super wild and loopy. Giles has got a nice jab. Giles has got a nice right hand. Giles' problem is that, again, it's a cardio issue. He just tends to fall apart and get tired. What worries me here is that you're really going to have to wait until you see the weigh-ins. Because on one hand, you got you got Giles. Trevin Giles is was initially supposed to fight Dragos Duplessis. He's had the fight booked. He's been all right. No problem taking this fight. 185 pounds. Roman Dolitz, meanwhile, when he came to the UFC, right, was the big talk. He was... uh. He, he won the ADCC Oceana title, right? The regional ADCC gets you a title into the big one, but he won that and he won the, like the 2013 FILA grappling tournament, right? So those are, those are two little good accolades for grappling. And he did both of those at 99 kilograms, right? Mm -hmm. Wh which I think is like 218 pounds. And you see his fights in the UFC, right? He fought Katie Sabragamov at 205. He fought John Allen at 205. He's taking this fight on short notice at 185 pounds. Ain't that some shit? So I looked into it, and by his own accord, he walks around at 205. So he fought John Allen, he fought Katie Sabragamov at his walk-around weight. He figured, I think I could make 185, so he's kind of getting ready for a fight at 185, maybe. Gets the call for this one and decides, I'll take it. So you're going to want to see the weigh-ins, because one, he, he might not physically make weight, he's a very strong, muscular, powerful guy, but B, if he does make weight and he looks good, he's a very big, strong, physical guy. Against Trevin Giles, if he goes out there and gets the takedowns, he's going to mop him up, right? He's got the superior top control. I think he's a good grappler. Trevin Giles also does have a suspect ground game of himself. And in the John Allen fight, you see it. Well, okay, first of all, the case of Bragamo fight, he goes out there, he gets the takedown, he pounds him out. He's the only guy to finish Cadiz Abragamov, who's awful. Awful. Whoa. Did I mention awful? Whoa territory, yep. But at least Roman did what you're supposed to do against that level of opposition. He just blew him right out of there. The John Allen fight, John Allen's a wily competitor, came back from a positive USADA test, and, you know, is a tough enough guy. And, and I thought John Allen was getting the better of the striking for sure, but Roman Delitz can rely on his grappling. Physically strong guy. His problem is, is that um, he's one of those guys that's a bit of a showman. And he was so, playing with his right, food in that fight. Right, Motherfucker plays with his food too much, and he's telling his corner, like, you want me to submit him, coach? And then drops back for a heel hook. It's like, He's dog. Oh, I hate betting on guys that drop back for a heel hooks, ball. God damn. I hate guys that give up a position to go for a guillotine and pull guard. Like, don't give up a dominant position for the submission. But, hey, they're going for 50K. They want, they want to grow a fan base. They want bigger fights. They want to move their career along. Sometimes they want to be exciting. And this guy wants to be exciting. And so when you're betting somebody, you don't you don't really care about excitement. You would take a slow-paced fight. You would take a grind of a fight as long as it was the winning result. Roman Delitz could be in a favorable position. He could get this fight to the ground, and then he could easily just give it up, right? And so that makes him a little bit of an unknown. Trevin Giles is a better striker. Trevin Giles has fought the higher level. He's better experienced. And honestly, what I did see from him from his last fight, he did look a lot improved. Mind you, he's going out there and taking on the likes of Bavon Lewis, but he did look better. Now, the one thing I will mention is the fight with James Krause. James Krause is a natural 55er who fights at 170. Takes the fight on three days' notice against Trevin Giles at 185 and now grappled him. Roman Delitz is coming down from 205, and, and his best grappling accolades on you know were... At, at 99 kilograms, which is like 218 pounds. So again, like he's a big, physical, strong guy. If he goes out there and scores a couple takedowns, this thing's all she wrote. 
but I want to see the weigh-ins. So I, I want to say, listen, I've pushed, pushed out so far, right? If I'm taking Holland, Gillespie, Yanez, mm-hmm. Griffin, Cheyenne Buys, Macy Jason, Grant Dawson, um, I got to go Trevin Giles. I got to yeah. go Trevin Giles, but I, but I really want to see that weigh-in, man. I could easily jump Jimmy. to the other side on this. He could come in like a monster, or he could come in three pounds overweight, and you really wouldn't want any exposure, now would you? It's the Roman Empire, as far as I'm concerned. I'll, I'll, I'll take the leads, but I haven't bet it yet. Uh, I'll watch the weigh-ins, as you told me to mm-hmm. do. All right, next up, we got uh, Montel Jackson taking on Jesse Strader. Uh, Montel Jackson, minus 750 favorite. Strader can be at plus 550. Find yourself someone in life that looks at you the way odds makers look at Montel Jackson. How is this guy, every single fight, such a ginormous favorite? I know he looks like he's got all the tools, but he hasn't really beat anybody yet. I don't know much about this Strader cat. You've been alluding to it all week long or all episode <laughs> all, all episode long. i've been drinking yeah yeah um, yeah no i'm in i'm in we'll go out after this too uh straighter <laughs> plus 550 montel jackson minus 750 it's almost unplayable um what, what's what's the word here it's unplayable it's minus 750 what do you want from it i mean at I least at the yeah. very least jesse straighter has a What's it called? A, uh, Aaron Carter's oh, oh, a, a boxing pulse. coach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Listen, he's got a pulse. He's good enough to be a plus five fifty favorite. Montel Jackson's got some some issues of his own right. One thing with Montel Jackson is he's he's deservedly so the favorite. Just minus seven fifty is too big of a price tag. Mm-hmm. It Mont- always is with him. Every yeah, fight. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's okay. I'll give him this right. Do turn pro in twenty seventeen, right? June of twenty seventeen. So he's been. A pro for, you know, less than four years. And then since that time, he debuts in the UFC against Ricky Simone. Less than two years into his pro career, he's in the UFC. That's huge against Ricky Simone. And what I had heard on him right from the get-go, this is the Ricky Simone fight. What I had heard, they said, Cody, he's got the biggest hand you've ever seen in your life. And his grip strength was like amongst the highest in the UFC. And in the Simone fight, he loses, loses a decision. But Ricky Simone routinely, he would grab wrist control on Ricky Simone, and it was like a problem. Like, dude is physically strong. Losing to Ricky Simone, not a big deal. Okay, so he beats Brian Kelleher. Fuck, dude. You're less than two years into your pro career, and you just submitted Brian Kelleher in the first round. That's huge. Beats up Andre Sugmantath. Expected. Always a big favorite, like you said. Beats Felipe Corrales. Didn't look great in that fight, but got the win. And then Brett Johns. Well, you know, Brett Johns is legit. He was a top 15 guy. Not, mm-hmm. not a fringe 15 guy. He was a top 15 guy in the best division in the sport. And that fight's uh, a year and a half ago. I'm going to say this guy probably is making improvements. Yeah, yesterday. probably. He's big. He's strong. He's physical. We saw him really green, fighting good guys. He's going to be fine. But, yeah, again, it's an MMA fight. And this Jesse Strader guy, give him this. Sure, he's Aaron Carter's boxing coach. Sure, he's fought absolutely nobody. His wins are 0-0, 3-4, 2-1. Lost to Marcelo Rojo, who we saw fight Charles Rodin last weekend. And Lost to him. knocked out in the first round. Holy fuck, what a banger of a round, though. Like, a banger of a round. But, but he got knocked out, ultimately, like you said. And it's at 135 pounds. He gets knocked out. You've seen Rojo this weekend. He was Jordan. was at 145. How the hell did that guy ever make 35? He was so powerful. Lost. But boy, oh boy. He put on a show. 
It's a poor man's once, John Lineker. Once his two broken orbitals heal, we'll see him back in there. Two, two for sure. Yeah. yeah. You know what? He flopped over, and I was thinking to myself, kind of an early stoppage. It was a body shot that, fold, but no, he and and he he didn't care. He wasn't protesting. No, he was done. And so that's why the ref, his body gave out. Yeah, and that's why the refs got the best view of the whole fight because you you see it, you feel it. This guy's done, and that's why a bad referee stop it. If you're sitting at home on your TV saying, "Yo, man, stop it." That he really has the impression this dude's not coming back from this. Anyways, all the same, it's like is a fight like that is a loss like that a big deal? No, a guy was super powerful, no big deal. But then Michael Jackson one in three, and then this Isaiah Gonzalez who's four and zero, but again it was a really soft four and zero beats them. He's beating them, he, sure. But jumping in on short notice into the UFC against Montel Jackson is a very tough task. What I what I will give from him from the limited fights you have seen him in, right? He is relentless, dude. Dude is like a Tasmanian devil. He just throws, 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 reckless throws. But Montel Jackson hasn't been getting knocked out. He's been getting kind of like caught in spots where he gets out grappled or controlled. I don't think he's got a chin issue. He's got a massively long reach. Mm -hmm. I really do think he will have made improvements. He was young to begin with. So I think Montel Jackson is is the A side, but 750 is just a crazy fucking price tag. As far as like the over under, you can get plus 160 on the over two and a half, but it's like Jackson can either easily submit this guy. And if Strader pulled off any type of upset, it'll be he'll catch him. He'll catch him with his relentless pace. More often than not, he'll get broke by just puts a pace on him, gets taken down, gets butchered up, gets submitted. So I got Montel Jackson. 750 is not a great price tag. So maybe you chase a prop by like submission or something, but even then, what are you getting out of it? Yeah, fair. All right, we got uh, Julia Avila taking on uh, Juji, Julia. It's or, Julia versus Julia. Julia. Julia, Julia Stolio, Stolio Stinko. Uh, that was the performance <laughs> that she put in against. She could uh, get off the Yana cage, man. Oh my god! Don't if you haven't watched <laughs> tape on it. Here's here's the thing. All that happened in that fight is she had an armbar attempt at the end of round two. I think she threw six significant strikes, and Yana Kuniskaya basically just held her up against the cage. I just kind of think of Julia Avila more or less holding Gina Mazzani up against the cage, throwing knees to the body, but I think I was, you know me. I mean, I just bet uh Ruiz because she had a neck tat and I thought that the fight was close. I'm always looking for dog opportunities in the in these spots, but I think this is probably about right. I didn't see much from Stoliarenko to lead me to believe that uh that she's UFC caliber, that she's gonna win a fight in the UFC. Avila didn't look great. You know, Eubanks really exposed her uh on the ground, everything like that, but I think she's getting uh, set up, and apparently, what she's full time fighter uh, now. After she was like part time for most of the earlier part of her career. Yeah, she's a geologist. I think she's. I think she's set up to to get a W here against uh, one of the lower level fighters in the UFC. Line makes sense to me. I'm not excited about playing it at this price, though. What about you? Julia Avila was my girl. Loved her. You know, bet all these spots. You don't really get a good price tag out of it normally, but. Here's a girl who ran D1 track and field at the University of Notre Dame. Like she's a hell of an athlete. Fighting Irish. Yeah, fighting Irish. Have a drink to that. Love the shirt, too. She's got skills. She's a great athlete. And also, she's very physical for 135. You know, big caboose on her. Generates a lot of power. Good ground game. When she's on top of you, massive problem. As it turns out in the Sinjara Eubanks fight, though, when she's on her back... Whew, 
problem for a betting standpoint. Yeah. She can't holes get up off game. her back. Big time holes off her game, off her back. Striking, she's, you know, I think she's got good striking. She's got good pressure. Moves forward, uses the right hand, backs you up. But ultimately, she needs to get this fight to the ground and establish top pressure. Julia, not Julia, Julia versus Julia. Bastolio Lenko. On paper, there's a lot to like, right? Here's a girl. She was on the Ultimate Fighter way back when. She fought in the UFC against Leah Letson and lost. And that in itself is a problem. But Leah Letson's massive. Like, she's a big-time 145-er. And so she goes on beyond that and goes, fights Lethway in, in, you know, what used to be called, uh, well, I guess, it, yeah, it's Burmese bare-knuckle boxing is what it used to be called. Now it's Myanmar, so it's called Lethway. But... I mean, you're headbutting your opponent. You're smashing them with elbows. You're just, just. It's a, it's a very brutal combat sport where only the toughest can survive. And she's a world champion. Like she's going out there and beating you up bad. But then when she comes back to MMA, it's all armbars, man. It's all first round armbars in like thirty seconds, minute. She just routinely flops to her back, throws up an armbar, flops to her back. She almost caught at the end of round bar. two. She almost caught Yana uh, Kunitskaya in one. Yana knew the defense against it, of course. Yeah, and I mean, I think when you tape study this girl, it's like, oh, there she goes pulling guard for an armbar. So you would understand that. And as far as her striking goes, her striking is vicious, and she could put a beating on you. But this ain't less way. You can't headbutt the chick. It's not all spent in the clinch. And I think Julia's going to be physically stronger than her. Then when you see her in the Kunitskaya fight, Kunitskaya just literally presses her up against the cage and she has no ability to dig an underhook she has no ability to pivot out she has no ability to shift her weight and physically get off the cage she's just lost and she just allows these huge lulls of time to pass so can she suddenly shore that up i don't know with avila yeah her last time out against eubanks was a stinker and she was a sizable favorite in that spot and again i was all over in that spot she got exposed a little bit she's not exactly young Here's a girl that, you know, she actually debuted. Her MMA debut was against Mary Renault. She has a regional scene win over Nico Montano. She's come to the UFC. She's she's scraped up some decent wins. The loss to Eubanks is a problem, but that just allows you to go back to the drawing board, refocus, game back up, come back in here, do what you got to do. I would actually say Julia Stolarenko is a live underdog because, A, it's 310. It's very similar to what you were looking at earlier in, like, a Montserrat Ruiz. We're at 300. It's a big price tag. Restore your ankle for whatever reason was to go up and get on top would be a problem. Avila had no game off her back. And here's a girl that's physically strong, no ability to get off the cage apparently, but here's a girl that's physically strong that could, but pulling guard is just detrimental. I just heard Pat circle like this. Which means Pat is hammering Stolyarenko. Dude, if Pat was to bet Stolyarenko and Ruiz. You know, let's say it was people like to say unit. Whatever your unit is, you put one unit both sides. You're telling me both girls lose? Maybe not. Maybe Montserrat's the one to come through. Maybe it's Julia. I think they both lose. But, yeah, we see this time and time again, all these cards. A lot of underdogs have been coming through. Lines are pretty well, you know, right. But uh, the dog just comes through. It is what it is. Women's MMA, is it going to be a submission or a knockout? Not likely. The over two and a half is set at 200. That makes a whole lot of sense to me. I'd probably chase this fight to go the distance. But I think Avila is going to be able to just pressure her back up because the cage, get a couple takedowns, hold down a top position. And finally, JP Baez taking taking on Bruno Silva. People love themselves from Bruno Silva. He was like plus 170 earlier in the week, and the line has came crashing down. He's uh, Baez is minus 145. Silva is plus 125. You may remember JP Baez from winning 
on the Contender Series. Horrible stoppage. All-time bad stoppage, at least on cont- Contender Series. They, you know, they were in the corner right next, or right at the end of the round. Uh, the guy wasn't, or his opponent wasn't exactly moving all of that much, but the moment that, like, you know, the ref stepped in to stop it, clearly the, there was no tap, there was nothing. He was completely fine. Um, wh- where is, where's your head at here? He it, seems to be, he yeah, seems to yeah. like to find, he likes to get it to the ground. He likes to use his jiu-jitsu, at least from that fight. To, to win fights. Is he going to be able to do that against Silva? I don't know. Okay, so first and foremost, he's a legit wrestler. Like, his wrestling is pretty solid, and that was supposed to carry him through as a very young prospect. So he actually fought in the Contender Series the first time around, back in 2017. He's, like, 21 years old when he fought in Contender Series. And they gave him Joby Sanchez. So Joby Sanchez is a UFC veteran at the time, and he's also a guy that wrestled out of New Mexico, uh, D1. Good wrestler, got some experience, got some tools to his game. JP Buys is a oh, they don't even give you the odds. But anyways, he was the favorite over jo- Joby Sanchez in that spot, and Joby Sanchez just went on there and put on a veteran type licking on him, stuffed the takedowns, took him down, and grappled him, pounded him via ground and pound. The difference between twenty one to twenty four, which is where you see him now, is a big difference, big learning experience. But he hasn't really tested himself all that much, so he's beaten. He went to EFC Africa. You and I have discussed this on many of occasions. And in, in, in EFC, he's beaten Philip Roach. Lutango Biko beats them. No problem. Low, lower level. Fought for Brave FC. Fought for LFA. Lower level guys. Beats them. No problem. Coming in here and taking on Bruno Silva. Winnable fight for him. I think he's got the wrestling to go out there and take down Bruno Silva. I think he could, you know, control him a little bit. As far as his striking goes, he likes to back up his opponent. He's got better output than Bruno Silva. But honestly, the thing with Bruno Silva is he could win all these fights he's losing. It's like one little tad issue here or a little tad issue there costs him. But he's due for a win, man. He's too talented. And I said this last week with Jin Yu Frey. This girl's too talented to go 0-3 in the UFC and fan out. And what happens? She ends up going in and winning an in-backer. But looking at Bruno Silva, it's the same thing. The Khalid Taha fight, right? He gives a pretty good account of himself. He goes out there, he scores two takedowns over Taha. But, you know, uh, he gets tired a little bit. He gets physically unmatched a little bit. He gets submitted by Taha. But Paul, Taha ends up going in, testing positive from Usada. No contest. Guy was on the gear. It's a no contest. So even though Bruno Silva took him down twice, looked good in spots, got a no contest out of it, there's at least moments. Then you go to the David Dvorak fight. He scores three takedowns over David Dvorak. It's 1-1 going into the third. He gets a little bit tired. He loses the third. He loses the fight. Okay. One around over David Dvorak, who's a decent little prospect in the UFC right now. And then that last fight against Tagir Ulanbekov. Ulanbekov is the man. I'm really high up on this kid. Long, rangy, great wrestling. Been wrestling with Khabib Nurmagomedov in the mountains of Dagestan since he was like 14 years old. It was Khabib no, calls him his cousin. It was no easy walk in the park for him. It was a fucking sweat, man. And Bruno took him down. Now, get this. Bruno took down Khalid Taha twice, debut. Then he takes down David Dvorak three times. Then he took down Tabir Ulambakov four times in that fight. And I rewatched it, and I felt the same way as when I watched it live. It was a sweat. <laughs> it was way closer than you would have wanted it to be. Ulambakov is supposed to be this highly touted prospect, and yet this guy made him work. And so he's a training partner of Henry Cejudo. He's a training partner of, of uh, the Pitbull brothers from Bellator, Patricky and Patricio. 
And whereas people may be sleeping on fight ready a little bit, Eric Andrews looked way better his last fight. I mean, he got DQ'd. Right, he didn't get DQ'd in no contest due to the, the illegal knee, but he just did this one camp at fight ready. Um, and my God, he looked big time improved. I really do think that Bruno, Sant uh, Bruno Silva has all the skills. He can wrestle. His striking is... It's a little one-dimensional. He has decent power. He doesn't have enough output at flyweight. It's hard to knock these guys out, so it's a bit of an issue. But, you know, it's serviceable. It's good. It's powerful. And I think that he might have a slight striking advantage over JP Buys. His takedown defense, Ulamakov took him down five times, but he scrambled, and he got back up, and he worked. And Ulamakov is supposed to be one hell of a wrestler. So even though JP Buys coming out of South Africa is a good wrestler, if he doesn't take Bruno Silva down, Bruno's game, and if Bruno flips the script and takes uh, JP down, it's a big-time game-changer. He's live. You know, this is not a card where I've been backing a ton of underdogs, even though I think a lot of them have a very solid chance. But I, I think Bruno Silva just, like, I don't think this guy goes... Again, he's got a draw against Casey Kinney on the regional scene. Mm -hmm. he's, got a, he's got fights with David Dvorak and Tagir Ulambekov. Like just such a higher level of competition. At yeah, this point that, in his that, career. he's a lot more ready. And he's kind of he's he struggled against that level. Whereas you look at JP Buys, he's just he's beaten a very low level that Bruno would have been. Last fight, he didn't even really win. And so this is alternate dimension. I mean, that's why it went from one seventy down to one twenty five. Well, it flipped both ways. Uh, it didn't flip all the way both ways. Would it but open up the other side? No, it didn't open up the other side. But it is. It went way up and then it came way down. Let me just see what exactly what the line movement was. Uh, where did they list this? Okay, it opened. It opened minus one seventy. It dropped to like. Oh, it's not saying. Anyways, regardless, I, you're, you're looking at it backwards. It opened at 170. People bet it down to 250. Now it's back down to 150. So it opens. Yeah, there you go. It opens at 170. It gets bet down to all the way to 250. JP buys, and then it's come back the other way. Now, now we're at minus 145. It's gonna go off as a pick, right? Right. Based on what it's what's but what's money, been going on. Money's gone both ways. Now I think with JP, it's like, well, his wife Cheyenne buys is on the main card, and it's they got that dynamic, and they've brought in Bruno Silva, who's effectively zero and three. Although his record will tell you zero and two with a no contest. He did lose all three fights in the UFC. What I'm getting at is alternate dimension. One of the judges in the Ulamakov fight gave him the first round. And one of the judges in the Ulamakov fight gave him the third round. But otherwise, he lost 30, 27, 29, 28. Alternate dimension, you, if you gave him the first and the third round, he could have won that fight. And all I'm saying here is that he was competitive versus a guy who I really like. JP Buys, I don't care too much from. If Bruno Silva goes out there and is competitive against this guy, he can make it work for himself. So I think I'm going to take the, uh, the over. And if Bruno's going to win, it's going to be by decision. He's a grind. So I like that over two and a half minus 170. Plus fight three, goes the that's distance. plus 300, by the way. I hope Bruno wins so that Cheyenne buys Parlay is like together. having a bad I time. I like where your head's at. No, no, so that Cheyenne buys is having a bad time, upset. Oh, my, right. my husband ended up losing. Oh, I'm going to lose to this girl with the neck tat. Boom. I win money. That's where I'm at. You can't fade the neck tat, dude. It's a real thing. Unless it's like Andre Fields. Has there ever been a situation where legit. we've had a husband and wife on a UFC card together? I don't think so. I th I don't think so. The, the first time sisters... It may have happened like in Bellator with like Gilbert and Carrie Melendez. 
Yeah, I don't know if they ever did that. Yeah, I mean, you know what? Bellator tries to beat you to, like the first time, first time this happened. But uh, ultimately, uh, if you're looking for it on a UFC standpoint, I don't think a husband and wife combo was ever fought. You've got JP opening the card, and then Cheyenne is opening the main card. Mm-hmm. So. Is he going to be in her corner? If he gets dusted, is he going to be in her corner? Like, who knows? Bruno Sample's not dusting anybody, but he could win two of the three rounds. That's for what sure. I'm aiming for, is that he, he picks up a decision. Like like uh, Pat mentioned, plus 300. Like, okay, uh, now that I'll reconsider that, I would much rather take Bruno Silva by decision than him straight up at 125. Like, he's a grind, man. That's what he's going to do. If he's going to win this fight, it's going to be keep it uh, competitive in the striking, maybe slight advantage, and then score a takedown or two. Mm-hmm. JP Bies is a good wrestler. This takedown defense is a little lackluster, so... We'll go, we'll go Bruno on a card that I am siding with a lot of these favorites. You guys all know how it happens. These dogs end up coming through and shitting in the pie. But uh, but as far as a dog standpoint, I'll take one here. Bruno. All right, we're just about out of time. But before we go, hit him with PRP. Okay, we're going to go with Kevin Holland. We're going to go with Greg Gillespie, Adrian Yanez, Max Griffin, Cheyenne Buys, Macy Chason, Grant Dawson, Trevin Giles, dog number one, Montel Jackson, Julia Avila, and Bruno Silva, dog number do, do, two. I mean, I, I miss, miss Tuivasa, and I have him as well, right? So it doesn't doesn't change the fact that we're rolling with currently only two underdogs. It seems like consensus is a lot of these favorites as well. I would admit there's a lot of live dogs in these spots. I just... I think it's going to be a favorite heavy card. All right. That is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For Cody Safdick and Prop Bet Pat, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Oh, oh, oh. Oh.